Oxford Centre for Triple Value Healthcare, otherwise known as 3V, scans over 30 journals seeking out important papers on value. To save you time, 3V assesses this research to identify the implications for value-based healthcare and summarises them on our blogs and in our podcasts. When people talk about health service resources, the mind immediately jumps to money. But money is only one resource, and health services need to be aware of other resources. One of these is carbon, and every hospital in England has a carbon footprint. Furthermore, frontline clinicians are often more motivated by discussions about carbon and reducing carbon than discussions about money and saving money. Another resource of much greater interest to clinicians than money is time. Time is inflexible and most clinicians feel under great pressure for time. They also know that if more money is put into a hospital or a health centre, it's not going to create more time that day. They still have got to think of trying to get home at the end of the day. In this article, the focus is on time for shared decision-making. And one of the authors, Victor Montori, is one of the people, along with Francis Mayer from Glasgow, who created the concept of the burden of treatment. Now, we hear a lot about the burden of disease, but they pointed out for the people we call patients and their carers, there was also a burden of treatment. Just getting to the hospital, for example, finding a car parking space, only to be told that actually... Some results were missing, so could you please come back next week? We've never taken that into account, but we have to do that for the future. Because the burden of treatment is getting heavier as healthcare gets more complicated. One aspect of treatment in which time is particularly important is making fateful decisions. Fateful decisions are those in which a lot hangs on the outcome. Obviously, if you're having a routine blood test, then it's not a fateful decision. It might be if the blood test included the PSA and you'd never been asked if you wanted it or not. But fateful decisions have been discussed most with respect to either end-of-life care or a simpler challenge, decisions about elective surgery. In these decisions, the values of the individual called the patient have to be ascertained. What value would they place in a good outcome? What value would they place in a bad outcome? And how do they value risk-taking? For some people, it doesn't matter if things go wrong. They would just say, okay, sirrah, sirrah. But others would torture themselves for having made the wrong decision. Al Mully and his colleagues developed the term the silent misdiagnosis. And by this they meant that we were very good at diagnosing disease, but not at ascertaining people's preferences. Which meant that we often operate on the wrong patient. Now it's not the wrong identity, but it means doing an intervention in someone whose preferences are for something 
completely different. So, shared decision-making has become, uh, quite rightly, a central theme in modern medicine and healthcare. But in this article, the problems of time and time constraints is raised. And the authors admit there's very little evidence, actually, what is an optimum time, or how could we judge if the time was right for that individual. And they say that although not, and they put it in quotation marks, evidence-based, to busy clinicians, this conclusion that there is no time for shared decision-making rings true. So this is a call really to think about time and to regard time as a resource. And the bottom line is very clear. It's not just time for talking. It may be time for listening or waiting with a person not being under pressure. What they don't cover is the part that non-face-to-face communication can play, both in reducing the pressure of time on clinicians and the people we call patients, but also perhaps in improving decision-making. Think of the problem of a clinician who asks someone, now when did this problem actually start? The person may pause and think, while for the clinician, the second hand is ticking. So what we're seeing now is a move to think about the face-to-face consultation in the context of a sequence of events. Perhaps the most important thing is to elicit from the person what is bothering them most and what do they hope the health service can do about what is bothering them most before they come into the consulting room. We also know from the work of Gert Gigerenser that not all clinicians are very good at communicating probabilities. So this means that after the face-to-face consultation, the person can be asked to go home and look at the decision aid and discuss it with friends and family. So we need to think much more about the total time required for good decision-making, and that's not just the time for the face-to-face consultation. The face-to-face consultation is, however, very, very important. But it may be that the key function of the face-to-face consultation is not information giving or information receiving, but empathy. And that's another resource that the people we call patients and their carers value very, very highly. If you want to stay informed about important developments in value-based healthcare, you can subscribe by joining our mailing list at www.3vh.org.